Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Cut New Brown for April 9th, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Um, and then, uh, Catherine, you're showing, but I'll go ahead and welcome Tim Shifflett now. Welcome, Tim. Yeah, good evening, sir. All right, I'm going to hit refresh on our board and see what happens. All right, the board was showing red for, which is good, and blue now. Hey, Kathy, are you there? Greetings from Atlanta. Sorry, you were showing like you own, and, and the board, I guess, was playing tricks on us. So we got you in. Happy Easter to you both. Uh, happy 16th anniversary. Um, I'm sure we've had an anniversary show on an Easter Sunday before, but it hadn't happened as many times as one would think out of 16 years. Do y'all recall one right offhand? I don't remember. Yeah. I, I do well to remember 16 years, yeah. so, you know. <laughs> yeah, good enough. Well, well tonight we've got a new guest uh, for uh, our anniversary Easter show, Claire Constantine of uh, Split Ticket, who's a Kentucky native is going to come on the show. We're going to ask Claire about her background, her, uh, you know, uh, work with Split Ticket, and then also give a little Kentucky information that she writes about elections really across the country as well. But until then, there is so much to cover. I sent you all four or five topics. There's no way we're going to get to it. We're going to start right off with you would honestly think we'd start off with the Trump indictment, but we've been talking in pre-show about you know, why we'll get to that in time anyway. But a, st- a story that I think is really on the mind of myself, I think on the mind of y'all, and mind of really voters a lot of places, is from a state, one state south of Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee this past week, you know, last time we were on the air, Tim, we discussed about the um, tragic shooting in Nashville. Well, there's been some fallout to that. And it is in how the Republicans of Tennessee and their legislature have reacted. Uh, students across Tennessee, not lawmakers, but students across Tennessee, converged on the state capitol in Nashville. You know, they wanted some things done on um, gun control. The legislators that are in the majority did not. There were three legislators, uh, all Democrats, one from Knoxville, one from Memphis, and one from Nashville that all supported that um, Protest. My understanding is they did have a megaphone on the floor of the House, um, and based on that, they moved to expel all three lawmakers, did expel the two lawmakers, and we'll probably talk about the, the dynamics of that as well, but they expelled them on the basis of not following the rules of decorum. Now, if the Tennessee legislature had been consistent on a lot of things. It might be one way, but they actually have a um, 
person that's been convicted of child molestation is the head of the Tennessee Education Committee in the House. They didn't expel that person. There's other people they didn't expel either. So taking a bullhorn on the House floor seems like a bit less of an infraction to me than does child molestation. Um, Catherine, what are your thoughts on what went down in Tennessee late in the week? It was just shocking. Um, And so obviously um, racially motivated because there were three – three elected officials, but, but only the two black men were uh, expelled, not the white woman. So there's just a lot of questions and a lot of understandable outrage, including me um, and I'm, I'm sure the three of us. Uh, it just seems like such a attack on democracy. I, I mean, I, it, it's, it's quite bold. I, that's, it's just, I just kept reading the headlines and thinking, what what is what's happening? Like, remember that scene in uh, uh, whatever that scary movie is with the kids coming out of the TV? What's happening? Anyway, it was Poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, it was it was a uh, rough end of the week on on so many uh, chords, but especially that. Yeah, Tim, um, like Catherine said, they, they had three lawmakers. They expelled the two African-American lawmakers, also the two younger lawmakers, although if I had to guess which was the bigger motivating factor, I do think it probably skin color, although I don't think age had nothing to do with it either. Uh, what's your take on what happened? Well, here's what the one who survived. Gloria Johnson had to say about that when she was asked why were the other two expelled and you survived she said well I think it's pretty clear I'm a 60 year old white woman and they are two young black men uh, who are working uh, hard for people in their communities and, you know, she just said it herself, and that's the truth. And I think you're right. I think it's more the fact of the color of the people's skins than their ages. Uh, although one of them, uh, I believe it was Justin Pearson. He just had gotten there. He he had just gotten elected in a special election uh, over in uh, Memphis, uh, after the the incumbent over there uh, passed away uh, back in January, and he 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 didn't get there until about well about the first of February, I guess. So uh, he he had not even been assigned to any committee yet because you know they kicked <laughs> them all off of their committees to start with. Well, they couldn't kick him off of any. Um, but but it's 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 uh it's just a terrible situation. You know this is this is very rare, guys. In all of the history of the state of Tennessee, only eight other lawmakers have been expelled. Well, six of them were Confederates after the Civil War who refused to recognize the citizenship of, of former slaves when it had become law. And so they kicked him out. And then the other two were expelled for bribery and sexual misconduct. 
And now they say these people are expelled for, here it is, quote, disorderly behavior. Oh, come on. I, w- I want to say one other thing. Now, you saw what they did with the bullhorn from the well of the house, and, and you know, they said what they had to say, and then went and sat out. Think back to the State of the Union and and how our own member of Congress up here acted and how they screamed liar and traitor and and just all kind of cat calls at the President of the United States during the State of the Union. I bet not a one of these Republicans in Tennessee said a word. Yeah, this is the. There's so many things to this. I mean, obviously, there are two districts that now don't have representation uh, until you know action can be taken, and we're going to talk about that. But it really, it was kind of like whichever lawmakers in the Tennessee State House said, "Hey, I bet I can boost fundraising for Tennessee Democrats like it hasn't been boosted in." Ten years, they did that uh, last week. I mean, you took a completely dormant, in many ways, organization, the Tennessee Democratic Party, that didn't really feel like they could win many elections. And I don't think the state, you know, turns into Vermont tomorrow because of this. But you, you just completely gave the organization life because. I'm sure fundraising came went through the roof. You've really probably exposed how you've been operating um, on a lot of things recently and the way you've conducted these actions. Um, Catherine, do you think actually that this is going to be a net positive for the Democrats in Tennessee? Um, I... Uh... I don't know that it's going to be a net positive for the Democrats, but I do think it's going to be a net negative for the Republicans. I know that doesn't seem like it seems like the same thing, but I think um, it may be a net positive for independent voters and for young voters. I think this is going to really hit the young voters. My concern is that, um, not concern, but, I just wonder how many people will just leave these states with all this craziness going on, but that's that's a whole other topic. But uh, I'm not sure that this draws people – I mean, they may vote for Democrats, but I'm not sure that it actually engages people in the Democratic Party, if that, if that makes sense. It, it makes sense, but I will tell you this, and I discussed this in my class the other week. You know, we, we did have that guest on a few weeks ago, Julie. From She now lives up in the New England states. She used to live in Florida. There are people that will move because of political or, or social reasons, what are you going to say? But by and large, people move because of employment, being close to relatives, weather. Yeah. I think all three of those are higher than politics. So, therefore, I think you're going to have a lot more disgruntled voters staying in the state than you will have moving because of – in really any state. Um, you know, maybe when people pick up and move, they may pick state X over Y, but to be the catalyst, that's a little different story. Tim, same question. Do you think this is a, a net 
benefit for Tennessee Democrats, this action that happened? Yeah, yeah uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, the, the average person in Tennessee who watches this sees a Republican Party uh, who is now so full of themselves, they they have such an iron grip on the state that basically they are to the point where they think they can pretty much do anything that they wish to do uh, with impunity. That there is no, they, they feel like they've drawn the district so well and, and changed the law so well that there's just no way that they can lose power or anything near it. So they, they're, they're not afraid to just go into whatever they want to do. And secondly, on the other hand, the Democratic Party is to, you know, at the point now where really they can't get any lower than they are up there. There's no way for them, there's nowhere for them to go but up. So the Republicans handed them a gift here, don't you think? I most definitely think that happened. Um, you know, it, it is going to help fundraising. We're going to get into, you know, what may happen from here in that district in um, Memphis, in that district in uh, Nashville. But another thing, you have a lot of entertainers that live in Nashville. One that I think might be the most popular entertainer in all of America for women under 30, um, Taylor Swift lives in Nashville. I mean, it, it, could you wake up these folks where they get – Super politically involved. Right now, she's politically involved. Does people like that start, you know, speaking out with their, you know, entertainment bully pulpit? I mean, you know, because the way Tennessee's functioning and the way Tennessee did nothing on gun violence after the shooting. I mean, we talked about the representative from Knoxville, the congressman, what he said. Um, could this change things? Now, let's get into the what happens from here. I did hear Tennessee has a little bit different rules. Instead of going directly back and having a special election, which both Justins would be eligible to run in, they're not barred in any way from running again from office. Actually, the local government officials in Memphis, the local government officials in Nashville will appoint someone to fill the term. There's indications that both municipal bodies are going to reappoint these men to serve out, um, you know, those terms. And, of course, I guess the, you know, the legislature could, you know, say that they walk crooked down the aisle or something and throw them out again, uh, you know, some nonsense. But I think they would probably be elected if they stood for election again, if they ended up having a special election. So no matter what, I think these men return right back to the body, and you've made them huge martyrs, rightfully so, in the process and how you've treated them. Catherine, do, do, from what you've read, do you feel these men are going to return to the legislature within a year? Um, either that or they'll run for higher office. <laughs> Maybe they'll end up running for Congress. <laughs> That would be fun. Well, there is is something that affects Congress, although they may not be the best fit for that seat. Yeah, I I was joking, really. Um, Now, one actually lives in Memphis where Steve Cohen is, so yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Tim, do you think that this is going to be a case where they return to the legislature 
with much larger profiles than they have before. They already have much larger profiles. They have national profiles. Now the vice president made a special trip down there the other day. They've been on every national uh, political show you can think of, especially this morning. They were just jumping from one to the other. Um, They've been asked to come out and speak. I noticed their social media presence. They've gained thousands and thousands of followers. Uh, And and you are right. If uh, the next general election is within 12 months, which which it is, um, they, um, they, they, in the cities, they can, uh, the, the commissions, commissions there, the councils there can reappoint them. And, and especially in Nashville, that's going to happen with, uh, Justin Jones. And I'm going to guess this week, um, that because they'll be taking this up tomorrow there, and I understand that in the middle of the week they're going to take up the case of Justin Pearson. It may move a little bit slower there because they have to go through two or three steps. Um, but but Jones, at least, he he may be back there by tomorrow night. That, that would be interesting. <laughs> a couple of days yeah. after getting kicked out and he's there. So uh, I guess we'll just see what they decide to do. But you know, the speaker and a vote of the of the legislature could, um, you know, deny him being seated. It's been done in state legislatures before. They tried to do that with Julian Bond back in the '60s here. Uh, but you know, they could refuse to seat him by a simple vote. So we'll see. Yeah, and, and then where would we go from there? Um, would they just to the courts disenfranchise this entire district? Yeah, you'd go to the you'd go to the courts. You'd go to the courts. That's where he'd yeah. go. And you'd have and you'd have to think that they would win any court case at that point. Um, you know, because it, it's just so you know obvious that they should be seated. Um, well, well, let's uh, Tim. I want to ask you now. You know, we said that she said the, the representative from Knoxville, former special education teacher. She said that you know why she felt that she was uh, not barred. Did any of the Republicans, particularly? There's obviously a few members of the legislature that voted uh, to you know bar Justin Johnson, Justin Pearson, but voted to bar him and didn't uh, bar you know bar her. Did those legislators legislators say why they didn't? I haven't seen anything. I I haven't heard. See, I'm looking at the vote here. Jones was voted out by a 72-25 vote, and then Pearson voted out 69-26, and then she survived by like a 48-47 vote or 49-48, something like that. But it was over 20 Republicans that had voted mm. to expel the other two, uh, voted to sustain her. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so that would be interesting to hear their rationale for why they didn't. I mean, oh, maybe I'm she's sure they been come there a lot longer. 
Oh, they'll come up with huh? something clever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it won't be the truth either. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, maybe because she's a special education teacher, somebody could say, oh, well, we want to, um, you know, have someone that has a background in education, you know, which, yeah, you do need some other background education, but this was pretty blatant the way you, um, you know, went about this. Well, right now we are so glad to welcome on the Kudzu Vine for the first time, Claire Constantine. Welcome, Claire. Hey, how's it going? Hey, so good to have you on the show. Happy Easter. Um, Happy Easter. We just want to start. Yes, we want to start right out uh, just finding out a little bit about your political background and bio. Sure, sure. Um, So I got my start in Kentucky politics. Uh, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. I went to school in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, worked in Kentucky politics briefly uh, after that uh, for the Kentucky Democratic Party. Um, I was the campaign manager for a very, very far out house race in uh, the Tennessee 1st Congressional District. And I've been, you know, on campaigns throughout the rural and metropolitan south. uh, And then, you know, I worked for Brilliant Corners as an analyst, ended up in the polling world. Brilliant Corners is a wonderful firm uh, led by Cornell Belcher. And he was Obama's pollster, of course. Uh, and now I am the senior analyst at National Public Affairs, which is a, another wonderful firm uh, led by Justin Clark, Bill Stepien, and Sean Goldman. Yes. Um, and also, if I think I remember on your uh, biography, you work with Split Ticket. And we've had uh, LaShane Jay, one of your colleagues, on before. Um, tell us, uh, what, what do you do with or is that correct that you work with Split Ticket? Yeah, that's correct. So I am one quarter split ticket. Uh, we are, a, you know, a fantastic, honestly, uh, you know, the other three of them are brilliant, uh, like, like startup election forecasting outlet. And so this year I am covering the gubernatorial races. Uh, and next cycle I will be covering the gubernatorial races as well. I figured it was like, you know, only uh, it was kind of poetic that uh, we would have in 2023 Louisiana, which is my adopted home state, and Kentucky, which is, of course, my home home state, uh, we would have those in 2023. And I was like, oh, man, yeah, no, that's me. I'm covering gubernatorials. Oh, makes total sense. Well, now, you, you mentioned that you worked in the world of polling, and now you're doing elections <laughs> analysts. Um, polling industry, and I didn't send you this specifically, but um, you were, I guess, probably did work in polling before when polling was still considered – accurate and then there was that moment where it was pretty off in 2016 and 2018 and it's been getting a little bit better what are your thoughts on what's happened in the past several cycles of polling and and how we can you know remedy that you know it's a great moment in the polling industry it's a great moment to be a pollster honestly i think we had a great cycle and there was i understand there was a panic in 2016 uh, the polls were, you know, the 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 um, what's the conventional knowledge is the polls were way off, right? Uh, but in 2022, like we had a phenomenal election cycle for polls. Like it was one of the most accurate election cycle for legacy pollsters. Uh, it's a little different what I do in internal polling, which generally focuses on messaging and movements. We tell clients that like the least important message or the least important number. In any internal poll is the horse race. And so we focus more on, like, where things are, but also, like, where things could be. Yes. 
Well, um, you mentioned that you've been covering the governor's races at all the states. I'm going to pass it to Tim, who will pass it to Catherine, and they may come back to me for some more questions. Tim? Good evening, uh, Ms. Considine, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, Kentucky has, for as long as I can remember, been known for its, I guess you'd call them ancestral Democrats, who, who have comfortably voted split tickets for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. That would explain why Donald Trump wins going away and while Kentucky has a Democratic governor. Is, is that still the case in Kentucky? You know, that's a great question. I think Kentucky, uh, you mentioned ancestral Democrats, and that's like the real, like the last holdouts of the the Democratic Party as it was before Johnson, right? Mm -hmm. And like the last holdouts of realignment. And Mm -hmm. Kentucky has always been sort of, uh, what's the word, idiosyncratic in Mm -hmm. its, you know, allegiance to partisanship. So, the state goes for, like, Donald Trump by enormous margins, right? But And then, in the ter- in, you know, turns around and in 2019 elects a Democratic governor. What? What? That's crazy, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the state house didn't flip until 2016. And so mm-hmm. I think partisanship is, is very, very fluid in Kentucky, and it's, it's very much less a uh, – Less, less partisanship is less attached to a national democratic identity. Like, Democrat isn't such a dirty word in, in Eastern Kentucky, or it depends on the context that you're using it, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, you call someone a Democrat, and it's like, well, so what? Like, my, my granddaddy was a Democrat. You call Jim Justice in, in West Virginia a Democrat, which he was until very recently, and it's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so was I until fairly recently, right? Okay. So um, you're, let's say you're a Republican candidate for statewide office in Kentucky. Whose endorsement would be more valuable? Would it be Mitch McConnell's endorsement or would it be Donald Trump's endorsement? That's a tough question, right? You know, I think <laughs> it's kind of like asking me if I would rather get shot or be poisoned. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, if you get poisoned, you can find an antidote, really, right? But if you get shot, you'll probably die. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well. I mean, like, so I I think, you know, Mitch McConnell has, holds, a, you know, a lot of power as Senate minority leader, and he's an institution, right? He's an absolute mm-hmm. institution, but you get to be mm-hmm. Senate minority leader, and voters nationwide recognize your name <laughs> as, as Senate Minority Leader, sometimes that's not such a great thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the favor building name ID is not a great thing. Uh, and I think, you know, Donald Trump among the Republican electorate has still has very high favorables, um, not seen as, like, such an institution. Uh, mm-hmm. I think as far as an endorsement goes for the grassroots, I'd probably go for, for Donald Trump. But like, as far as an endorsement goes for maybe resources, I would lean Mitch McConnell. So it honestly, mm-hmm. honestly depends on what kind of candidate I am. Okay. Well, let's say you're Daniel Cameron and you have the endorsement of both men, which he does. Mm-hmm. 
it, it, it would appear at first glance that, that he would be almost certain of winning the GOP nomination for governor, but uh, you have sort of uh, written that perhaps that's not exactly the case. So if he's not a shoe-in to be the nominee, why, why would he not be? Sure, sure. I mean, I think it's a, it's a hot gubernatorial primary, uh, this uh-huh. cycle. And to, to give everyone the rundown, you got, you got three, like, top-tier candidates or, you know, really two, like, like, a, like, a, like two in Tier 1A and then one in Tier 1B, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have Kelly Kraft, uh, who, was, who comes from the Trump administration, despite her, her lack of a Trump endorsement. Uh, uh-huh. And you know, I think I've I've said this before. I'll say it publicly now. She's got more money than God's ex-wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you know, Kelly Kraft is extremely well resourced. There's a lane there. Um, uh-huh. Daniel Cameron has all of the institutional backing. There's a lane there, sure. And then Ryan Quarles has been elected to statewide office. That's where I'm talking about Tier 1B, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he's absolutely beloved in Western Kentucky. And I think, like, if you're looking at Wikipedia and you're stacking up, like, the endorsements, Ryan Quarles has more state, like, like state officeholder endorsements than anyone combined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so All it's right. hot. Like, it's a hotly contested gubernatorial primary. Uh-huh. Um. I'm going to ask you one more question. This is about another state, and then I'm going to send it over to Catherine to ask you some more stuff about Kentucky or whatever she wants to talk about. But you've written about Governor Reeves' issues in Mississippi, and they're certainly well known with the scandals there. And and he's drawn a a, a top-tier challenger. But, Mm -hmm. But Mississippi is like one of the reddest of red states. States. So would I be safe in saying that I'm very skeptical of democratic chances there? I think anyone should be skeptical. Uh, skeptical. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Like, uh-huh. I, I think anyone should be skeptical, like, just on its face, partisanship, et cetera. It's not like, you know, Mississippi has that ancestral democratic uh history or like an incumbent like democrat it it takes a it takes a heck of a sort of effort and will to oust an incumbent um i mean andy Bashir only won by five thousand something five thousand four hundred votes in in 2019 Uh and those would be the kind of those i mean i would expect closer margins were brandon presley to win uh, he's drawn a absolutely top tier like you know challenger, and I think he should run competitive races anywhere, regardless of party. Um, I think it's something to watch. I think it's something to keep your eye on. You know, I'm not going to dismiss it, but I think there's there, I think there's a path to victory. It's a very very narrow one, and you know after like Q1 fundraising, I would really like to see him like pick up a lot more resources and a lot more money. He's going to need. He's going to have to spend a lot to do it, right? <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. And with that, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine? Hey, Claire. Thanks for being with us tonight. I hope we didn't interrupt your Easter, Passover, Ramadan, whatever it might be. 
I want to ask a more general question about the South. So sure, I've lived in Georgia. I'm originally from Michigan, but I've lived in Georgia for like 25 years. I figure I, I consider myself a, a an Atlantan, a Georgian, and I've always like I've enjoyed my life here. I like it. I like my job. I like my friends. I like. But man, when I look at the data, you know, in social media, sometimes they'll like just post a picture of a, a, a like outline of the United States and all the states. And all the horrible things, you know, like high, lowest uh, life expectancy, highest maternal child health um, ranks, and then, you know, the highest murder rates in some places. And, I mean, it's just like you just wonder, it, is it, what is it going to take to change it? Obviously, shooting ch- school children doesn't work. Taking abortion completely out of uh, – out of legal hand, out of the hands of people who need it, hasn't made a difference yet. That may still, that may still happen. And all this work that the Democratic Party has done in various places, certainly a lot in Georgia, quite a bit in Florida, Tennessee, maybe not so much in Kentucky, Alabama, and Mississippi. But, and I, I just wonder: is it, is it a lost cause, or is it just a really slow? change you know i i don't think anything is lost cause i appreciate your question because like as a like as a like died in the wool southerner i absolutely i love the south i will like i will defend you know mississippi and alabama i have lived in both places in louisiana and kentucky and the culture and the people there i think there's so much value and you know so much nuance that is, you know, transcends maternal mortality rate or poverty or education, et cetera. But I do think it has to do with poverty and education and access to resources. Um, I don't know if that's solved by, like, you know, partisanship. I don't know if that's solved by, you know, particularly one-party rule, but it's, you know, it's, it's a slow slog towards progress. Uh, I, you know... It's 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 so steeped in history that I can't even like a lot of pollsters are uncomfortable saying I don't know but like I'm not a social scientist <laughs> I'm a I, I'm not a uh, you know I I don't tackle issues on a on a like a systemic level but I do have absolutely you know hope for the South I hope to be buried there <laughs> so well I, I'm glad I'm glad that to, to hear that because I I do too um, but sometimes it's hard to look at it all um, and and wonder, you know, how we can pull ourselves out of this. But I think, I actually think that this latest junket from Tennessee uh, seems to have gotten a lot of young people riled up, which I think is going to be the key is, you know, getting people to recognize that their vote in in state legislatures and uh, for state representatives and state senators and governors and secretaries of state are as important, sometimes more important than their senators or Congress people. And so, um, and I think this recent uh, kind of ridiculous situation in Tennessee might highlight that and, Maybe that'll help us. 
But, and that's the next question. Do you think young people are going to be the answer to all this or a, a big part of the answer? Sure. I mean, I think I, and I used to tell voters at the door uh, this all the time, but it matters to me very much who sits in the White House. It matters to me very much who sits in the U.S. Congress. But the politics that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, like that you interact with, that affects your daily lives, has a lot more to do uh, with your daily life than street signs and stoplights and speed bumps. Um, and that's why there's a heck of a lot of difference between living in Mississippi and there's in Massachusetts, right? And yeah, I th- so, I mean, those are yeah. almost the exact words that I say to people. <laughs> so we just have to keep saying that, right? <laughs> what are the most interesting hey, governor races that you're looking at right now? So I'm, I'm looking at Kentucky very closely. I know I'm biased, uh, but uh, <laughs> I am okay. like, I'm biased, and, you know, people tell, like, you know, it's chicken little sort of, oh, you know, Kentucky, please pay attention to Kentucky. I'm saying it all the time. But, like, no, this this time I mean it. Um, it is absolutely the most fascinating uh, and, like, you know, tantalizing Republican flip opportunity for the, like, the RGA in 2023. Um, and then the 2024 map, you know, it's, pretty polarized. I would really, I really want to watch North Carolina. I think that'll be very cool. Um, you know, Roy Cooper, uh, et cetera. I would love to see how Montana goes because there's a competitive Senate race there. Um, we want to watch Vermont. We want to watch New Hampshire because they might have incumbents who, to my knowledge, have not announced again. And then I would, you know, I absolutely would love to watch um, the Gibbons Royal Race in uh, West Virginia and Indiana. Those would be competitive, like, GOP primaries. We know that, like, you know, it, it, it matters very much whether or not the, uh, whether, like, the, whether the candidate or whether the winner is a Republican or a Democrat. But it also matters which, which Republican, right? And so well, that's more, the competitive more important than ever, really. <laughs> absolutely. And so I think Indiana will be very, very cool to watch. And actually, all of these competitive races with wide open fields. Well, great. That sounds great. Thank you so much. I'm going to pass it back to David because I suspect he has some more questions. Yes. Well, Claire, you you said that Kentucky's the, you know, really, I guess, the most interesting state of the three. Um, Andy Bashir won a a lot of because Matt Bevin was just such a toxic candidate. But it seems to be he's pretty popular with Kentucky voters. I've seen approval ratings of Andy Bashir, and they're really they're right side up. He's very popular, especially considering he is a Kentucky Democrat. What's he doing to kind of defy um, expectations of the state from other recent races? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's incredible. Um, I think according to Morning Consult Tracker, Andy Bashir is the most popular Democratic governor in the country. And some of these are Larry Hogan numbers, really, uh, as far as approval goes, and he is top side up. I think if you look at Kentucky and the challenges that Andy Bashir has faced, uh, you know, first among them being COVID, uh, which, you know, 
was a mixed bag for any governor. I think you didn't see a sort of grassroots sort of swell of opposition against his COVID policies that you saw in many states, especially like against even in bluer states. And then there were two absolutely horrible natural, natural disasters in Kentucky. And I think Andy Bashir was able to sort of shine in those, especially in the natural disaster that hit his hometown. I think Andy's like, you know, Andy sort of shines when there's like compassion involved. And uh, he's very much like a quieter governor in that he, he operates better in a retail environment. Uh, he's a quieter governor in so far as that he doesn't enjoy taking the national stage. Um, and so I think each, each major, you know, unexpected conflict of his, his term that he's encountered uh, he hasn't made any, like, major missteps. And so I think that's kept his approval above water. Uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of the same. Yes, and another question related to um, 2023 in Kentucky. Because so many Republicans are running, especially for governor, I think one, uh, one statewide office holder is running for a different statewide office, only the Secretary of State. Um, will not will have an incumbent in the race, and all those are Republican held. So a Democratic mm-hmm. candidate running for one of these statewide offices with probably the strongest top of the ticket they've had in in multiple cycles. What are the chances that the Democrats could build a bit of a bench and maybe pick up one or more of these seats? Or, or I think that. That's a great question. I think bench building is extremely important for the Democratic Party, particularly in Kentucky. You know, I mean, it's like these, you don't, you don't field a good varsity team without having a good junior varsity team the year before, right? And you don't recruit a good junior varsity team without, like, having a great varsity team. So I think the margins in the previous cycle were pretty on track with where they should be, with the exception of the Secretary of State's race, which I believe was like a 10-point gap maybe. Um, But again, that's an incumbent running again. So I think fielding like a strong sort of slate of Democratic candidates is always important in, you know, running for statewide office. But at the end of the day, gubernatorial, you've got to have those coattails, right? Yes. Now, I was going to ask you one final political question, but now after your junior varsity varsity um, analogy, I want to know about your high school coaching career since that was so astute. <laughs> but, but seriously, I am going to ask one more question about Kentucky and kind of, um, you know, recent years. We know about four years ago Amy McGrath uh, ran as a more conservative, more moderate Democrat, raised a ton of money against Mitch McConnell, probably running against Mitch McConnell, raised the money more than anything. Then last cycle, Charles Booker, probably as progressive as a Kentucky Democrat's going to get, ran against Rand Paul. The results didn't really change either way, running more of a moderate candidate, running a very progressive kind of, you know, out there uh, campaign where you really, you know, push some hot buttons with the uh, noose around the neck, but there was no difference at the ballot box. 
what do you think? Is, is there a winning strategy, or do these races just we just had different dynamics? Um, I would lean more towards the second. It's a great question. I hesitate to compare margins in presidential elections to margins in midterm elections. It's an entirely different electoral environment uh, in a midterm versus a presidential versus an off-year gubernatorial. And so the R plus, the D plus, et cetera, I, w- I would hesitate to compare those two for sure. It's an entirely different electorate. And that's certainly fair. I mean, I think, what do they say? You can't step in the same river twice. Uh, That's an old polling um, analogy there, too. Well, Claire, we've enjoyed having you on so much. Before you leave us, tell us where people can read you in long form and social media, anything you want to let people know more about you to, to read and get in more contact with you. Let us know. Thank you so much. Um, so splitticket.org, uh, split-ticket.org is a electoral analysis at your fingertips. We put out amazing analysis. Uh, my partners are Laksha Jane, Armin Thomas, Harrison Lavelle, Neon Sit. Uh, and they're incredibly smart. You should check it out. You should, you should subscribe to get new posts in your inbox. We'll never sell your data. And we'll never give out your email address. It's just new posts. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at macro targeting. That's macro targeting. And then you can check out the work of my polling and like general public releases. I work with a great team at National Public Affairs, and our website is natpublicaffairs.com. All right. Thank you so much, Claire, for coming on. And as this race progresses, uh, you're our best Kentucky contact. Uh, we may have to reach out to you sooner than later. Love to hear it. And uh, y'all should check out uh, the debate is next or is this coming week, actually, uh, on Kentucky Sports Radio. Great objective, amazing moderator, good friend of mine, Matt Jones, host of Kentucky Sports Radio. It will be broadcast on Thursday. All right. That's good to know. Yeah, that's good to know. All right. Thank you again, Claire. Thanks. Have a great one. Thank you. You too. Take care. Yeah. Claire Constantine of Split Ticket of National Public Affairs. Before that, Brilliant Corners uh, really seems to understand Kentucky politics, a ton of passion uh, about politics in general. Um, so just I'm glad we got uh, Claire on the show this evening. Um, well, we got a little more time, time to really actually flesh out uh, a topic. Um, Post guest, which is um, – Not always the case, but there's another one I think we all want to talk about. This past Tuesday, what was termed the biggest election in 2023, and I kind of feel bad after uh, Claire just told us about those three governor's races, which in some ways are definitely, uh, you know, you would think would be a bigger deal, and obviously to the people of Louisiana, Kentucky, and Mississippi are more important. But people built this election up this past Tuesday for one of nine state Supreme Court uh, seats um, in Wisconsin. Uh, You know, the polling going in, I think, showed the Democratic candidate winning, and uh, the early votes that were coming in showed the Democratic candidate winning, but they didn't show the Democratic candidate winning by double digits, 
which is what happened. Uh, Tim, how did this thing turn so um, for the Democratic progressive candidate? Tim? I'm going to – uh, Tim maybe muted himself because he's still on the board. Uh, well, Catherine, I tell you, you hear me now. Tim back you on hear the, me now. We can hear you now. Yep. Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead, Tim. I, okay. I understand it's good to mute ourselves sometimes. Um, yeah. well, how did this thing uh, turn into being a double-digit win? Well, uh, you were right. She won by 11 percentage points and by you know like 200,000 votes. And the the short version of it, it was a huge young voter turnout. Several groups uh, got to work and focused on these young voters. Uh, We talked about Dane County before we went on the air. Uh, He won that county by like an 82 to 18 percent. The percentage turnouts in the college towns up there, even in Green Bay, which she won, which is a Republican town, but it has Wisconsin Green Bay University there. But her totals exceeded Tony Evers' totals when he was elected governor by five to six percentage points in every one of those uh, in every one of those towns, and what really got the the young voters uh, riled up and ready to go up there, abortion was the major issue. So that that's basically what did it, a combination of young voters and, and a hot-button topic that they were angry about, and here they came to vote. Yes, Catherine, um, Tim's right. They think that reproductive rights, uh, and, and that makes sense it being a Supreme Court issue or a, I'm sorry, a Supreme Court race, uh, even though if it is at the state level. Um, is that what you're kind of hearing, too, that was the major driver um, in the race? Yeah, abortion is uh, driving a lot of voters um, right now, um, and we can only hope that it continues until we see some reversal in some of these laws. Um but yes, I've I've read that and I've seen that, and um, I'm sorry that it took, uh, you know, taking rights away from so many people to get people to, you know, stand up and fight back. But it it seems to be working, so that's good. Yes. Now going into the race, um, the big attack line for Republicans. Uh, Dan Kelly's campaign, but they called uh, the Democratic candidate no Jill Janet, um, and they tried to uh, hit the Democrats on crime. Um, this seems to be a big issue among Republican-based voters, and obviously any increase that might happen in crime is, is a terrible thing, although I sent you all some statistics about Atlanta and how much uh, crime in Atlanta has fallen in the past year. Um, that, that Mayor Dickens have put out. So I get the idea that that um, rise in crime is starting to subside anyway. But as far as a campaign issue, I get the feeling that the Republicans hit it, but they hit it too hard. And they've done this in the past with things. For a while they want to call every Democrat liberal, 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 until it meant nothing anymore. And, and, and they may have 
some seemingly kind of burned out the crime issue, I believe, too. Um, Tim, going in, you know that that's what Dan Kelly's campaign did. Um, why did it seem to fizzle so? Well, for several reasons. Number one, we've already mentioned that it was far, far, far overshadowed by women's rights issues, especially with abortion. Um, and, and another reason that that voters are not wanting to hear Republicans preach to them about crime is is this tragic spate of of uh, shootings and Republicans' refusal to do anything about the gun violence issue or anything meaningful. So they don't want to hear the Republicans talk about what they consider the worst crime going on in the country right now when the Republicans are doing nothing about it. It's falling on deaf ears. Uh, uh, they, uh, the crime issue might do uh, serve them well in, in primaries, but I, I just don't think it's going to work right now in uh, general elections. And, and, and plus, they really have provided no answer yet uh, uh, about the abortion issue, either on a national or, or, or a statewide level. And they've got a problem there because voters are very angry about it, even in places like very conservative Kansas. And they were certainly angry about it up there in Wisconsin. And they that one issue and those young voters turned a very close race into an absolute rout on account of it. Yeah, Catherine, sticking with this, uh, the, the crime and then other issues, how it plays in, um, I have heard that, you know, Mandela Barnes did better than the polling showed he would in the final weeks of the race. He ended up losing pretty narrowly. I believe it was the closest election loss by Democrats in, in 2022. But they used that – there was a period that Ron Johnson – uh, used where Mandela Barnes didn't have a lot of money and was not on the air to define him negatively on crime. So this issue seemingly worked on Mandela Barnes in 2022. Any thoughts on why it didn't work on Justice Janet? I know her name starts with a P. I'd maul if I tried to say it. Um, why did it not work um, just you know, less than a year later? Um, I don't know. It could be it could be all these shootings. I mean, it's, it's shocking when you look at how many mass shootings we've had in the last year. And then you've also got just regular gun violence, not even mass shootings. Um, so it could be that. Or it could be... Um, different voters it sounds like they really got young people fired up about the supreme court um election so it could be different voters um and also i think there was a lot of focus on it you know when that when there's only one race for everybody to talk about and everybody to look at then it just gets a lot more attention yeah, I do think you're on to something with the special election. And I was asked for a comment this past week in one of the national newspapers about my thoughts on this race. And I didn't follow it as closely as like our friend 
Anthony Chagoski would have or somebody like that. But what I'm taking from this race and a lot of other races is the fact that Democrats with their um, new coalition, uh, or it's not new but slightly tweaked coalition, of more highly educated voters are going to turn out in special elections. We lived through a cycle in Georgia where we lost every special election from the late 90s, and including that one back in 92 with White Fowler, all the way through to Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff winning in um, 2021, seemingly, in January. We went through all those losses, one after another, PSC races, um, you know, Senate races, congressional races, you name it, special election loss after special election loss, runoff losses all throughout. And I think it happened to other places, too. Now Democrats seemingly have the advantage in special elections because they can depend on their voters to turn out for um, these special elections in places like Dane County, and that's where the University of Wisconsin is. I actually saw tying our two uh, stories together, and I may have sent you all that tweet. Um, Tennessee Republicans are going to turn Nashville into Dane County, and I thought that was very interesting. I don't think those are really that analogous um, because Nashville has a lot of other aspects to it that – you know, Madison, Wisconsin doesn't. Also, Tennessee State and uh, Vanderbilt are not as big a thing within um, Davidson County as the University of Wisconsin is with Dane. But I do know what they're saying. They're going to push voters to be more Democratic. And um, I think a little bit of Atlanta, what's happened in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, maybe start happening more in Nashville as well. But I did think it was interesting that both of our topics had that parallel that someone had um, put together. Well, guys, like I said, we didn't get to a lot we wanted to get to. Next week, I have a feeling we're going to have a double buy-sell hold. We had two candidates get in the race since our last show, the presidential race, and we got to do a buy-sell hold on Asa Hutchinson and Robert Kennedy Jr. We're going to talk about them next week. Um, and we'll probably have more stuff next week on the Kudzu Vine. We want to thank Claire Constantine for coming on the show. Till next week. Good evening, everybody. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America.